We welcome everyone here to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We please ask you to turn off your cell phones. Thank you. I'm Beth Mundell-Atherstone, and I am your moderator today. The session is being recorded by Shaw TV, and today they brought along some strong lights so that the speaker and the questioners won't be in the dark. Please put $11 into the basket and have someone at the table count it to make sure to verify the correct amount. SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization in its 48th season and contributions of members and session attendees help cover expenses. Memberships can be purchased and renewed from, from uh, SACPA's uh, stand-in person today, Lisa Lambert, and usually from, from Annalise von Urs. We want to thank our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for the great lunches, Shaw TV, Channel 9 for broadcasting the sessions, sessions several times weekly, including nightly at 7 p.m. The CKXU 88.3 FM Radio Live and the Lethbridge Herald, as well as other media covering our software events. The format of our meeting will be 20, 25 to 30 minutes for the presentation. Then we have the lunch, followed by the question period, finishing about 1.30 p.m. I'm pleased today to introduce Michelle Montgomery, who will be speaking about the topic, tackling domestic violence, and are we winning or losing? Michelle has been with the government of Alberta since 1984, working in a variety of problem areas, predominantly with family court and child protection. She has been specializing in the area of domestic violence and bullying since 2002. She is passionate about sharing her knowledge and educating the community to create safe environments where children and families can thrive. As a mother of two great kids, Michelle works full time and is also an avid community volunteer. Let's welcome Michelle Montgomery. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I always welcome the opportunity to go out into the community and talk about a topic that I'm so passionate about and it's not an easy topic to talk about it's not an easy topic to hear about and learn about but it's so very important and uh, i hope as i move through my presentation you will understand that this is uh, this isn't a small issue and it's not something that just happens in larger centers or in specific populations I just came across this quote uh, about a week ago, and I thought, oh my gosh, if that doesn't just say it all. So when the women's movement started, there was not even a term called domestic violence, it was just called life. And if you think back historically, where women were considered chattel, property of their husband, and the rule of thumb that you could beat your wife as long as the stick wasn't bigger around, 
than your thumb. Those are all things that historically um, were acceptable. And even though legally they not, may not still be acceptable, you may be surprised at how some of those belief systems in some segments have not shifted significantly. Now when I was approached about um, doing this presentation, you know, one of the comments made to me was, this has been so much in the media lately. And have, what are we, are we doing anything? Are we making any progress? So I just want to talk for a moment about some significant progress that has been made with respect to domestic violence, specifically in Alberta. So around 1968, the women's movement started to get some feet under it. In 1974, the first women's shelter in Alberta, and in fact, I was told yesterday, in Canada opened, in Calgary. But that women's shelter at that time was entirely privately funded. So there was no government funding provided for that. In 1983, we saw some significant changes around spousal assault policies amongst um, policing divisions across the province across the country actually, including Alberta. If you're not familiar with what a spousal assault policy would be, this is where uh, the onus was taken off the victim to lay the charge. Prior to 1983, police might be called out to an incident and the victim, typically the woman, would be asked, do you want to lay a charge? There are many, many reasons why a woman would choose not to lay a charge, and not because she didn't think it was very really important. That would probably be at the bottom of her list. So post-1983, police laid the charge. Uh, Ten years later, in 1993, we saw changes to the criminal code that allowed for criminal harassment to be a charge, and this would include stalking. And we know that stalking is a very significant um, issue within domestic violence, and it's one of probably our biggest red flags in terms of predicting legality for a potential victim. So a very important change there. In 1999, the government of Alberta proclaimed the Protection Against Family Violence Act, which again is a wonderful piece of legislation that allows for victims to remain in their own home following a domestic violence incident and for the perpetrator to be removed. It also provides for lots of other forms of protection within that order. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into details about that, but very important piece of legislation. Unfortunately, right out of the gate, it had lots of issues being embraced, um, not just necessarily by police, more by the judi judiciary and in, in the way that they were interpreting the act. So amendments were made in 2007 to try to address some of those issues, and then again in 2011. We saw that act open again for more amendments to tighten it up and make it an even more useful piece of legislation. In 2004, the Child Welfare Act was replaced by the Child Youth and Family Enhancement Act and embedded right in that legislation, it indicates that children are deemed to be emotionally injured if they have been subjected to domestic violence. So makes our job much easier in terms of finding a way into that family to help them and to work with them. In 2005, the government of Alberta hosted the Roundtable on Family Violence. This was actually very pivotal in the province of Alberta because the government called together stakeholders 
uh, from almost every sector that would be dealing with families, and a number of recommendations came out of the roundtable. Um, since the roundtable, there's been a much greater focus on collaboration and coordinated responses. So the police don't just do their job, and the Crown Prosecutor doesn't just do their job, and Children Protection, Child Protection goes off and does their piece. We all work together to try and formulate the best possible plan for the family. Uh, there's more dollars available for treatment programs for offenders, which is very important. It's very, very important to support the victims, but really if you focus entirely on the victim and just punish the offender and don't offer any kinds of supports, the chances of them changing their behavior are not very great, which means they're probably going to go either back to that family or create a new family or a new relationships and continue their offending pattern. There's more emphasis placed on supporting our Aboriginal communities and our immigrant populations. Lethbridge is one of the top 10 placement cities in Canada for new Canadians. And with many of these immigrant populations, they bring their own issues. And they're very complex issues because of language barriers, because of cultural beliefs, because many of them have been in camps um, and, and have lived um, a lifestyle that we can't even begin to appreciate. So not exactly your run-of-the-mill kinds of families to deal with. We also now offer safe visitation for families who have been experiencing domestic violence to ensure that children can still have contact with the non-custodial parent but in a very safe and protective environment to ensure that those visits are positive for the children as opposed to in a domestic violence relationship or the perpetrator in a domestic violence relationship because it's what they know that's their normal so what's happening in Lethbridge um, in 2013 we had 286 women and 331 kids that were uh, allowed to stay at the YWC Harbour House's women's emergency shelter 41% of those women reported that their life had been threatened. During that same period of time, 437 women and kids were turned away because the shelter was full. Now, you need to, now when I say turned away, that doesn't mean they're just the door's locked, sorry. We, there's no room in the inn. Um, they may be offered transport to another shelter in the area that has space for them. If they have extended family that's not in the immediate area that they would feel safe going to, assistance with bus tickets would be provided to them. In a worst case scenario, if they really don't feel that they can return to their home safely, they may be put up in a hotel, but that is not um, a best case scenario given that a hotel isn't particularly secure. The whole point of going to shelter is that you are safe as long as you are within those walls. He has no opportunity to access you. Other services that the YWCA Harbour House offers is an outreach program. So a woman doesn't have to come into shelter to receive services. She can contact the shelter and say, you know what, I'm just not sure that I want to leave, but I want to talk to somebody so I know what that might look like. She might say, I'm not ready to leave, but I know I need help. Or she may have left the shelter, but does need ongoing supports for herself and her children. And that outreach services are also available to men through the shelter. Our shelter here will only house women and children. 
Um, but outreach services are available to um, either men or women. They also have a crisis line and in 2013 um, dealt with 1,668 crisis calls. So that's several a day. Am I shattering your dreams of what a placid, beautiful community this is to live in? Because I don't mean to, and Lethbridge is not really unique. This is, this is very typical of what you would see across Alberta and in many other provinces. From a police perspective, in 2013, they responded to 1,134 incidents of domestic violence. That's about three a day. So again, please don't think it's not happening here. It's happening lots here. Um, this was a 10% uh, increase from uh, 2012, but this was the first increase that we've seen in the number of calls that they've gone out to since 2009. So from 2009 to 2012, there was sort of a gradual decrease every year, and then last year it jumped. So even though it's gone up, it's still not as high as it was in 2009. Um, the 618 charges were laid, and I don't have statistics for 2013. The last time Crown Prosecutor's Office kept statistics was 20, 000, uh, 2011, and at that point they had about a 70% conviction rate on domestic violence charges. So police are charging lots, we're getting lots of convictions. That's all very good, but what's more important is what's the outcome of that conviction. Um, Many of these offenders are going back to their families. Many women have gone into shelter and then returned to their abuser. There's lots of reasons for that. Domestic violence is an incredibly complex issue. And I hear people say all the time, why does she go back? Or why doesn't she leave? Well, realistically, we need to ask ourselves, why can't she leave? Because there are multiple barriers to a woman being able to leave an abusive situation and I could do a whole 30-minute presentation on that alone and the same thing with him returning to that family um, after court proceedings are through very few men are spend time in jail for domestic violence and again that's not a bad thing um, because when they're in jail they don't have to participate in any kind of treatment so unless there's jail time and a probation order that requires treatment following jail time he may or may not get help if, if there's an order that requires him to attend offender treatment, he will get some help. So again, when we look at charges, 75% of those charges were against men, 18% were against women, 7% both parties were charged. This statistic has actually come down. Uh, police used to much more frequently lay what they ca called dual charges, and this is because they go out, and if any of you have ever witnessed a domestic violence situation, you know, it's very chaotic, and even when police get there, not everybody doesn't just calm down and speak rationally and explain very clearly what exactly just happened. It's not like that. So sometimes it can be very difficult for police to figure out who was actually the offender and who was the victim here, because they're both saying, he started it, she started it, she hit me, I react, he did something. So sometimes they will ask, um, they will lay dual charges. So what now? Family violence is complex, as I just said. It's pervasive, I hope you've got that picture. It's expensive, and it's preventable. It is preventable. In order to prevent it, 
we have to continue to embrace comprehensive continuum of supports. So we can't just deal with treating the offender. We can't just support the victim. We need to focus on awareness. We need everyone in the community to know to some degree what I've just shared with you, that this is not an isolated problem. It's happening everywhere. We need to talk about prevention. So as I said, getting into the schools and teaching kids at a, from an early age what a healthy relationship is and how do you know when you're in a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship. We need to continue our efforts at intervention. So treating offenders, treating and supporting victims and providing that outreach, not just necessarily helping those people while they are in the throes of the situation or the immediate aftermath, but ensuring that they have adequate supports carrying on so that they don't revert to those kinds of behaviours. We need to do a better job of engaging men and boys, and I have to tell you I don't often get to present to audiences where there are so many men present. We have historically seen family violence as a women's issue, and it's not. It's a societal issue. And if we don't get men on board, taking a stand and saying to those one in ten men, it is not okay to ever hit your spouse, demean your spouse, be disrespectful to your spouse, it's not okay, then women are going to continue to fight this uphill battle trying to win everyone over. Prevention is the key. Prevention is the key. And we know for every dollar spent on intervention, there's, there's at least a $7 saving, or prevention. You save $7 for every dollar that you invest. So we can't stop having these conversations. We can't stop making people aware. And we have to, as a society, stand up and talk about things like, okay, all these guys in the NFL, they're doing this, what are we going to do about it? Well, you can't do anything about the NFL, but let's talk about those, uh, the hazing things that happen on high school football teams and make it clear to school administrators and coaches that that's not okay. Like, you're setting a really poor example and a very bad precedent for what these young men think about relationships with each other and how that transfers into ter in terms of their intimate relationships. What can you do? Don't be active bystanders. Don't just stand back and say, well, my family's good, my work site's good, everything's good. Because it's happening somewhere close to you, I can assure you that. <coughs> be engaged citizens. You, this, this group in particular, I know that you're all very engaged citizens. So think about what you can do to turn things around, How, what, what difference can you make in your community, within your own family? Support family, friends and neighbours to get help when they need it. It's a tough conversation to have. I've had family violence within my own extended family. Not a comfortable conversation to have, but necessary. So do what you need to do to get past your own inhibitions and have that conversation and help them know where to get help. And if you don't know where they can get help, again, the Family Violence Information Line, 310-1818, is a great place to start. Stop the transmission of violence from one generation to the next. I'll tell you, having that conversation with one person significant in your life that you think is struggling is going to be the first step to stopping that, that multi-generational 
issue. Family violence hurts everyone, the children, women, men and families who experience violence, the witnesses and bystanders, as well as those who are responsible for committing the violence. And for any of you who ever have either been aware of a situation of family violence that is close to you or you've witnessed it, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be the person on the other end of that fist to feel the impacts. So again, I urge you to do what you can. November is Prevention of Family Violence Month in Alberta. If you think of things that you'd like to see happening in the community around Prevention of Family Violence Month, you're, pr you're welcome to give me a call. There's, there's a lot of people in this community that are trying to get the word out, but we can't do it alone. So again, I urge you to do whatever you can to deal with this issue. Thank you.